0: Thank you Bob. Uh, this morning we're actually going to focus on the first half of the chapter, so the events around uh, Lazarus rising again from the dead or being raised. But I wanted to read the whole chapter just to give a little bit of uh, context uh, to, to where we are going and where we can. It's great to be able to read the whole book of John as we work our way through this series. But let me pray uh, as we uh, reflect on these passages. Uh, dear Lord, as we come to your word now, Help me to speak to it faithfully and clearly, and give each of us ears to hear and hearts to respond that we might recognize the glory of your Son. Amen. I want you to imagine uh, that you have an aunt. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have an aunt, uh, then let me offer Aunt Beatrice. Uh, she's a little eccentric, uh, but she's lovely. Uh, she isn't a Christian, but she does collect garden gnomes, uh, which has absolutely nothing to do with this story. But imagine uh, Aunt Beatrice gives you a call one day and she's in tears uh, because she's had this terrible diagnosis from her doctor and she's asking you to pray for her. Now, I suspect for most of us, if we had that call, if you're a Christian, uh, then we would pray that she would be healed. And certainly we want Aunt Beatrice to be healed. We, We love Aunt Beatrice. But if that is our only prayer for Aunt Beatrice then we've sold her short and certainly I hope that that's what we'll see in this passage. There is a wonderful story about Lazarus being raised from the dead but there's actually more to it. If that's all we see then we've missed the wood for the trees. So our account begins with Mary and Martha sending word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. We don't know how Jesus reacts to the news, but we do know that he plans to use this terrible moment for a greater good. And so verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. None of us like to suffer. And I think our first temptation when we do suffer is to start to accuse God. You know, how could a good God allow this to happen to me? And in fact, that's the accusation that the mourners make uh, when they... Uh, see what's happening with Lazarus and when Jesus doesn't arrive on time so in verse 37 they ask the question could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying and the the subtext of that question is an accusation if he could then why didn't he Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, who is perhaps most famous for his Narnia series, and you might have read the books or seen the movies, Uh, but he makes this observation about how we as people often approach God. He says this, he says, The ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge... God is in the dock. He's quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defence for being the God who permits war, poverty and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. Uh, It's an interesting observation, isn't it? Uh, There's certainly nothing wrong with us trying to understand God's will for us and God's will for humanity. And God gives us his word so that we can have that insight into his character and what he wants for us. But like Mary, uh, who washed the feet of Jesus, when we ask those types of questions, we need to start from a position of humility, uh, recognising that he is the master uh, who has created everything and we are you know the equivalent of a grasshopper you know, the bible gives us lots of reasons for why god allows suffering in the world uh, it shows the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of humanity uh, but it also shows us the limitations of our power we can't stop bad things happening we can't even stop bad things happening from within ourselves And all of that pushes us to recognise that we need a saviour. And as much as we are afraid to acknowledge it, because if we acknowledge it, we're kind of fearful it might happen more, we do recognise that suffering does produce character and character perseverance. And as we persevere, we reveal the genuineness of our faith. Uh, So that gives us assurance as we endure that suffering, but it also testifies to those who are around us, who are observing us. And our most powerful witness to Christ isn't when things are good. Our most powerful witness is how we respond in our absolute darkest moments. Uh, That doesn't make suffering good, but it does mean that good can come out of suffering. And we see that here. Now, the focus here isn't so much on uh, how it grows us in character, but it reveals, uh, for in, in this account for the Apostle John, it reveals the glory of Christ and the glory of the Father. And the result will be praise and honour. And so when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he doesn't just heal Lazarus. You know, certainly uh, in another account, we read how Jesus healed a centurion's daughter from afar. He doesn't actually need to be physically present to do the healing. He could have done that here, but he chooses not to. Uh, He could have left immediately uh, and and rushed to Bethany, you know, that he might arrive in time and and hopefully, you know, save Lazarus from death. But again, he chooses not to. Uh, Instead, he waits until Lazarus is dead, and then he decides that it's time. And the disciples are completely flummoxed. You know, Bethany is near Jerusalem. Last time they were in Jerusalem, people were trying to kill Jesus. So why in the world would Jesus choose to go back now? Uh, But Jesus won't be dissuaded, and he gives this rather cryptic response. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Now, there are lots of light metaphors in John's account of events, but this isn't one of them, uh, because he's talking about the world's light. So, literally, he's talking about daylight, and his point here is simply that daylight is about working hours. And so, Jesus here is saying, it is the time for me to do God's work. And as I do God's work in the daylight, I will not stumble. I will go to Bethany and I will achieve all the things that God my Father has planned for me to achieve. And right now, it's time to wake up Lazarus. And that just baffles the, the poor disciples even more because if it's just about Lazarus being sick and needing time to recover, uh, then he's going to wake up on his own. You don't need to travel four days to you know, give him a bit of a shake on the shoulders. And so Jesus makes it really simple, okay? No more illustrations, no more euphemisms. Uh, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Uh, Jesus is not saying that he's glad that Lazarus is dead, uh, but he is glad that even in this tragic situation, that he is going to do good things through it. Uh, that as a result of this whole situation, for some of the disciples, it might be an eye-opening realisation moment where they go from recognising Jesus as the good teacher to recognising Jesus as Messiah, Son of God. Uh, For others, it might be a faith-affirming, faith-strengthening moment, and they're going to need it because events are going to turn very quickly as Jesus heads towards the cross. So Jesus returns to Bethany. By the time he arrives, uh, Lazarus is well and truly and irrefutably dead. And I suspect that's why Jesus delayed his return in the first place. So there would be absolutely no disputing what would happen next. And so when Jesus arrives, Martha comes out to see him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Uh, it's easy to read those words as you'll have a, a tone of accusation, uh, and particularly because uh, her sister Mary will use the same words in a few verses later. And, and certainly in the mouth of the mourners uh, who were there, it was an accusation. But everything we read about Mary and Martha that that would seem a little bit out of character. Uh, But whatever the feeling behind the statement, from a story perspective, uh, it keeps us asking that question: If Jesus could save Lazarus, then why didn't he? And even though Martha knows that God will give Jesus whatever he asks, she is not expecting that he is going to raise Lazarus right here. And right now, and so Jesus says to her, "Your brother will rise again." And Martha hears those words, but her expectation is for the future. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is where we really get to the whole point of this account. It's almost right in the middle, and often that's kind of how the Bible passages are structured: that they put the main idea smack in the middle, so all your attention sort of draws to it. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So these words from Jesus aren't a correction. They're actually a word of affirmation. Whatever is going to happen next in this situation, Martha is completely right about the big picture uh, when it comes to death and resurrection. You know, one of the expressions that John picks up over and over again in his account are these two little words, I am. Uh, and for two little words, they, they carry a lot of meaning because they go all the way back to Israel uh, when they're slaves in Egypt and God speaking to Moses. And so to sort of recapture the whole, you know, history in three verses or less, uh, this is a brief, you know, extract from Exodus. Moses says to God, said to God, "'Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, "'The God of your fathers has sent me to you. "'And they ask me, what is his name? "'Then what shall I tell them?' "'God said to Moses, I am who I am. "'This is what you asked to say to the Israelites. "'I am has sent me to you.'" So when Jesus says, "'I am the bread of life,' and I am the light of the world, and I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd, and now I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, It's a declaration of his identity and his authority. Uh, He is the eternal Son of God, equal with the Father. But that doesn't make him the same. So the, the Bible shows us that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and all are so unified in nature that they are described as one, and they are equal. And they are equal, but they are also unique, uh, unique in each of their roles. So each person of God has a unique role, in, in particularly for the son in this context. His role is to submit to the Father and to do the will of the Father, and he is honoured by the Father. And so each person of God becomes the perfect Complement of the other. And so the Son's role here is to restore life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So when John talks about life, he's not just talking about mere existence, Uh, he means being who we are created to be. Uh, Loved by the God who created us, uh, we are saved. Uh, we have an eternal, secure future in Christ. We have a purpose in the present to enjoy God, to give him the glory that is his due and to make the most of the time that he has given us, Uh, to build the body of Christ, to be salt and light in the world, to proclaim Christ and the good news of the salvation he offers, Uh, to love mercy and justice. Uh, But Jesus doesn't just achieve our resurrection through his death and resurrection. Uh, It's more interconnected and personal. Uh, He is the resurrection. Uh, So we cannot separate God's offer of salvation from the person who is offering it. Uh, To embrace one is to embrace the other. And equally, uh, to reject one, to reject Christ, is to reject the salvation that he offers. You know, we can't say, you know, look, I'm not really into the Jesus thing, and I don't think he's the son of God, but I'm pretty sure, you know, when I die and stand before the pearly gates that everything will be okay. Uh, If that is our belief, then that is certainly not what the Bible is saying to us. In fact, it's saying completely the opposite. If we do not recognise the son, then we do not have life. And so his question to Martha is very simple but also very pointed, do you believe this? And just to be clear about what Martha believes, she lays it out in her answer. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. What she's saying is you are the promised one uh, from the Old Testament. You are the eternal son and you are the only one who's going to secure my salvation. And so as we read this account, the, the temptation is to to gravitate towards the drama, isn't it? Uh, and certainly if you've ever been involved with children's ministry, it's much more fun to wrap people in toilet paper and have them come out uh, than it is to, to focus on you know, the, the meaning behind it. Uh, so we focus on the drama but really... It's on the person and the message, who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Uh, But the miracle is still important uh, because the miracle confirms the message. So after Jesus talks to Martha, Mary then comes out to see him and she leads him to the tomb. And there we have the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Uh, The Apostle John, again, doesn't tell us why Jesus wept. Uh, He knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but I I suspect it was because he sees the grief that comes with death uh, in the people around him, not not just for the sake of Lazarus, but but also for humanity. Uh, This is why he has come, uh, to take away all of this pain and anguish. His death and resurrection will secure our eternal future. It will take away the power of death. You know, there's still grief. uh, There's still going to be emptiness. But through Christ, there's also comfort and confidence and hope. And for the sake of everyone there, he wants them to see that he is the one who's going to secure that hope. So he tells the people there to remove the stone. And Martha is somewhat concerned, as Paul pointed out. uh, By this time, there is a bad odour. Uh, for he has been in there four days. Uh, In the King James Version, uh, it says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. (laughs) Uh, So it's not a pretty sight. Uh, And Jesus perseveres. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And then he prays. And again, he's not praying for his own sake. He's praying for the benefit of the people there. He wants them to recognise his relationship with the Father. So he says that they may believe that you sent me. And so in this moment, you know, this is sort of the, you know, from a, a storytelling perspective, this is the moment, isn't it? He's called it out. He's prayed. Everyone's sort of waiting to see what happens next. And Lazarus comes out. Jesus calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Yeah, I mean, obviously a really serious event, but almost quite comical to imagine uh, as he comes out. And you can imagine the reaction of the people. But if our reaction is just to focus on the the miracle itself, then we're still missing the point. Uh, Jesus has declared, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the real question for us in all of this today is that question he asked Martha. Do you believe this? Amen.